Hi, I'm Peter Sarsfield. And I'm Varun Rao. And this is the Win Podcast. On this episode, we will be talking to David Richter, who's a Republican congressional candidate, about important national issues and his reflections on running for office in 2020. Hi, Mr. Richter. Thank you for coming on today. Oh, my pleasure. Glad to be here. Yeah, so uh, related to the 2020 election, is there anything specific that prompted you to run for that specific election? Yeah, well, the, the issues that are really of concern to me are national in scope. Uh, and when I talk to some people, um, getting my name out there, talking about running for Congress, they were like, well, why are you starting so high? Don't you want to start lower, run maybe for the assembly or freeholder or something like that? And I, I just said, no, I said, the things that I really care about are national. On top of which, New Jersey is a very... Um, very democratic state, a very blue state, and I'm a Republican. And uh, right now the Democrats control Trenton. So me being a Republican assemblyman, I'd be getting absolutely nothing accomplished in Trenton uh, because it'd be easy for them to ignore me. Uh, And I thought I could have an impact in Congress. Uh, I thought um, the Republicans had a chance to retake the house last year, uh, which they they improved their position, but didn't take the house completely. I think in 22, uh, they have an excellent chance to, to take the house. Uh, a president's first midterm election almost always goes against them. And, uh, and I see that happening. And uh, frankly, I've been talking to some people about running uh, potentially next year as well. And you mentioned issues on a national scale. So what do you think is one of the most pressing issues for Americans right now? I think that um, the federal government is not very fiscally responsible. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to be in the House. It's the branch of um, our federal government that's involved in taxing and spending. And it loves taxing, it loves spending. And we've got a national debt that has ballooned up in the last uh, decade. I think when President Obama came in, it was about 10 trillion. It's now, uh, I think over 30 trillion uh, and shows no signs of slowing down. Uh, President Biden is, is proposing, you know, trillions of dollars in new spending, trillions of dollars in tax increases. Um, I see the, uh, the national debt continuing to balloon up. And for people that are in high school right now, I would think that'd be a, a big concern because you're the ones that are gonna have to be paying that off, facing higher taxes and an economy uh, that's more challenged because of all that debt. Uh, it wasn't that long ago, I think before you were born, but in the late nineties um, when President Clinton was in office, uh, the federal government actually ran a surplus for a couple of years. Uh, and those times are long behind us. Um, I'd love to see some fiscal responsibility brought back to our, uh, our federal spending. Our next question is, uh, so we were doing some research before the podcast, and we saw on your website that you're a strong supporter of the police. So what do you have to say to those who believe the police are inherently racist and we should defund the police? Um, I don't think the police are inherently racist. Um, I think there are some bad police officers. Uh, One just got convicted in Minneapolis for doing a very bad act, uh, and he deserved to get convicted, in my opinion. Uh, But that's a very, very small minority of of police officers. I think they have the toughest job in the world. I think we take young people, we train them for a a few months, and then we give them a gun and we say, okay, wherever there's trouble, wherever there's bad actors committing crimes, uh, go into the middle of it and stop it and uh, capture the bad people, put them in handcuffs, um, and bring them to justice. And, uh, oh, by the way, that gun we just gave you, if you misuse it in any way, And remember, you may have a couple seconds to make a decision, maybe fractions of a second. But then after the fact, you know, we'll have a committee sit down and look at at videotapes and we'll Monday morning quarterback you. And if we decide that you use that gun inappropriately, 
uh, we're going to put you in jail for the rest of your life. And uh, we don't have to tell you how much fun it is to be an ex-police officer in prison. Um, it's an incredibly difficult job uh, with tremendous risk. You're putting your own life at risk constantly. You have to defend other people's lives uh, and you have to arrest bad, you know, bad actors. Um, and by bad actor, I don't mean Matthew McConaughey. I mean, people <laughs> committing bad acts. Yeah. Uh, it's a really difficult job and the political pressure that they're under now, uh, you've got cities across the country defunding police, making it more difficult for them to do their job. Um, and when I was running last year, I had a chance to talk to the head of the New Jersey PBA, which is the you know, Policeman's Benevolent Association, which is the, uh, the largest uh, union of police officers in the state. Uh, and I asked him, I said, it must be impossible for you to get police officers uh, hired and trained these days. He said, no, they can still fill the jobs, but the quality of people that they now have to let be police officers is going down and down and down. And people are retiring at a faster and faster rate. It, it's a shame and I, I don't, I, I worry about uh, our ability to have police officers out there who are the good ones uh, keeping us all safe. It's an incredibly difficult and dangerous job. I absolutely do not think that we need to defund the police. If anything, uh, the polls that I've seen, particularly in urban minority communities, say that the majority of people want more police uh, and more funding of police because they live in dangerous communities. And I think you've got the political extremists that have made the police an easy target. Um, and honestly, if you look at the statistics, you would not see anything that shows there's any kind of um, systemic racism and mass murder by white police officers against minority communities. Uh, 2019, which was the last year I saw the numbers for, I believe there were 13 unarmed black um, uh, arrestees that were shot and killed by, by white police officers. 13 in a country of 330 million. That's not an epidemic of violence. Um, that's probably 13 people that shouldn't have been shot, uh, but hardly something that says we need to tear down this system that keeps us all safe. Um, so I, I am a strong defender of um, uh, police officers, uh, the good ones. And I'm also a big believer that we need to get uh, rid of the bad ones and, and prosecute the ones that commit crimes. But um, you know, I'd, I'd like to see the current environment that makes their jobs much more difficult uh, uh, change. Uh, pivoting to something more related to the Republican Party again, uh, with Liz Cheney being removed from her leadership positions and also Mitt Romney being uh, booed at the uh, Utah Republican Convention, uh, what do you think is the future of the Republican Party? Like, where are they headed? And where do you, where, where also do you think they should be headed? Today's Republican Party is a little bit different than it was when I was growing up. Certainly, and I think President Trump promoted this change and also benefited from it, because I think in, in large degree it was happening uh, even before he became president. But it's become much more of a populist party. You know, when I was growing up, it was, you know, the Democrats were the party of the working class and the Republicans were the party of the of country club uh, millionaires. And uh, it's really flip-flopped. Um, and I can see this on the campaign trail. The people out there that, uh, you know, are, are blue collar, uh, that work hard, Let's see what happens to their tax dollars in Washington. Um, they have become far more Republican. And, um, you know, you see corporate CEOs and uh, Wall Street Titans are uh, overwhelmingly Democrats. And um, part of that is, is the political change. Um, when I was uh, growing up again, and I'm, uh, again, a lot older than you guys, but, uh, you know, the Republican Party was the party of free trade. Uh, and I believe in that. 
Uh, trade is the source of our wealth and we ought to encourage it, not discourage it. Uh, but there are also countries like China that uh, engage in all sorts of uh, activities to try to take advantage of us and benefit more from trade. And I think it's appropriate that um, you know, we stand up against that. We fight against unfair trade. Uh, I'm not a believer in tariffs or protectionism, uh, but um, I do advocate for more uh, free trade agreements uh, with foreign countries. We should have more of that. The populism that you see in today's Republican Party, I don't think that's going to go away. Um, and you've got uh, certainly President Trump, when he was in office and still today, has a, a lot of support uh, among members of the party. And so when people go up against him, like Mitt Romney often does, like Liz Cheney recently has, they're fighting a tidal wave of support that uh, the president still has and, and may have again. I've seen reports that say uh, he's preparing to run again in 2024. And I find it hard to believe that anybody in a Republican primary can beat him uh, with his support, his name recognition, his ability to raise money for a presidential campaign, which is uh, probably the most important thing. It's tough to run for president if you can't raise money. And um, whether he can beat uh, Joe Biden or Kamala Harris or whoever the nominee is in 24, uh, I don't know yet. It's still early. But um, the Republican Party is still... Um, Overwhelmingly, not 100%, obviously, but overwhelmingly still supports the president. Um, I've seen reports uh, among Democrats that say uh, if they're going to embrace Trump, then the, then the party's dead. Um, I think that's more wishful thinking on, on, on the Democratic Party's side that, um, you know, they, they would probably very much like a one party state where everyone's a Democrat and the Republican Party is, uh, has gone the way of the uh, dinosaur. But uh, that's not going to happen. Uh, the Republican Party gained seats in 2020 as much as the president was a polarizing uh, force politically. You know, he's, he was a love him or hate him kind of guy. And um, I think the 2020 election was decided more by him. I think Donald Trump lost that election far more than Joe Biden won it. I think people that voted for Biden were really voting against Donald Trump. So do you buy into reports that there are about like 100 or so House Republicans that want to or would like to disband from the Republican Party? Um, yeah, I saw a list. It was the, pretty much the same people that uh, came out during the election uh, against President Trump. I saw former New Jersey Governor Christy Todd Whitman was on that list, which didn't surprise me. Um, you know, again, those are 100 people looking for attention. And, um, and there, there's certainly people even among Republicans that didn't like the president. Um, I supported the president. I endorsed him. Uh, he was nice enough to endorse me in return, uh, but I didn't agree with him 100% of the time. Uh, and I particularly didn't like uh, his rhetoric. Um, I liked the policies of the Trump administration much more than I liked uh, some of the things he said and how he said them. He was much more confrontational uh, than he needed to be. We, I, we deserve a president who's a unifier, not a divider. And I think he was a divider far too often. Um, but uh, I think the policies that we got over the last four years from the Trump administration were good. Uh, the economic policies, the tax cutting, cutting of regulation. I think he put some terrific judges in office, particularly on the Supreme Court. Uh, and I voted for him and supported him because I thought he was better than the alternative. And uh, I think we're starting to see now just in the first four months of the Biden presidency, uh, some of the reasons why so many people didn't want him in office. He campaigned as a moderate. Uh, and he's been governing as a, uh, as a left-wing progressive uh, ever since. Um, and part of that is because I think that uh, he doesn't necessarily control uh, 
the agenda of the party uh, and the government. Uh, and you've got uh, on the left wing, some very, very strong voices that have a, a very large megaphone and they're controlling the debate. And uh, we'll see where it goes from here. Uh, you mentioned the Supreme Court. So do you have any thoughts on Democratic uh, cries to um, try and pack the courts? I think packing the court is a terrible idea. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt tried it uh, about 80 years ago when the court wasn't giving him the uh, decisions it wanted and he tried to expand it and, the, and Congress shut it down. Uh, I'm, I'm astounded that it's even a topic of conversation. I, I called uh, actually for a constitutional amendment setting the size of the Supreme Court at nine. Um, most people are surprised that that's not in the constitution. It's, it's set by Congress. They can make it larger or smaller. Um, but uh, you know, it's been nine for about 150 years. And to come in and say, well, now we control the White House and we control both houses of Congress. Um, we don't like the Supreme Court though. That's the one part of the federal government they don't control. So since it's nine members, we'll just make it 13 and then we can put four members on and we'll have a liberal majority on the Supreme Court. It's an incredibly short-sighted position to take. First of all, it ignores uh, 150 years of, uh, of history and precedent. But what happens when the Republicans control the presidency uh, and, and Congress? We, they're gonna raise it to 17? And then Democrats next time are gonna raise it to 25? I mean, we're just gonna keep building up the Supreme Court? It's just, it's a, um, it's a slippery slope. And, um, you know, even, the debate itself seems to me to have a, a lack of credibility. Um, the answer I usually hear when someone actually says, yeah, we should pack this court, we, we control the government. Trump packed the court, he put three conservatives on. No, he, he didn't pack the court. Packing means expanding the size of the court so you can tilt it in your direction. He had three open seats to fill and he filled them. Yeah, so now to, I guess, focus on more international um, issues. So Trump made clear throughout his four years that the number one geopolitical threat to the U.S. was China. Do you think the Biden administration is following the similar footsteps as the Trump administration did in dealing with China? Um, I'm not sure yet. Uh, certainly, uh, Trump took a very hard line against China, both on trade policy and uh, when the pandemic hit, uh, clearly making China the, uh, the villain. Uh, and I've seen more and more evidence that says that may very well be the case, that this wasn't a natural virus, that this came out of a, uh, out of a lab. Um, I don't think there's any question that the biggest risk for us is an aggressive China. Uh, Russia, which was the, um, you know, our, our main villain for, for the second half of the 20th century, uh, frankly, after the USSR uh, broke up uh, and given Russia's economy, uh, they're just not the same power. I think Russia's got about the same size economy as California. Uh, they don't have the economic strength to, to really um, be an, an adversary for the United States. China, on the other hand, has gone the opposite direction. They've become much stronger. Their economy has, uh, has boomed. Um, and if they want to invest in the military and be an aggressive military power, they're probably, not probably, they're certainly the only country in the world that could ever challenge us. And let's hope that uh, never comes to fruition. Uh, that's another reason I'm a believer in free trade. You know, wars used to happen because countries were very compartmentalized. Uh, trade, imagine where, you know, goods and services are going back and forth. Companies, American companies are operating in China. Chinese companies are operating here. There's far less of an incentive for there ever to be a war because it's such a negative um, and uh, it's 
I'm a firm believer in capitalism as uh, probably something I know a lot of people complain about the military industrial complex and companies make money selling tanks and bullets. Uh, but the reality is when you've got countries integrated, trading with each other, um, you're far less likely to have war. Since you uh, mentioned uh, the coronavirus, uh, how do you think Governor Phil Murphy has been handling the pandemic to this point? I think he's uh, run the state with a very heavy hand, um, and I don't think he's had to. Uh, I'm disappointed that he the, uh, he views his job as to be the tyrant of New Jersey, and uh, I said a lot of this on the campaign trail last year. But um, you know, the, the entire country, the entire world faced um, the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, very few places um, sort of um, acted in such a draconian way as New Jersey has uh, under the governor's direction. Uh, 30% uh, from what I understand of small businesses in the state have shut down. Uh, most of them will never reopen. Um, you know, you've had states like Florida and Texas uh, allow a lot more freedom, reopen quicker. Um, and I believe that New Jersey is the only state in the country that is still, um, you know, mandating masks uh, across the board, even though the CDC recently came out, the Centers for Disease Control recently came out and said, you know, mask wearing uh, outdoors if you've been vaccinated is, is pointless. So you would agree, would you agree with the statement that Governor Murphy has used the pandemic as a power grab for the governor? Oh, there's, there's no question about that. And I can't tell you how many people I've been talking to in the last couple of months that are uh, either about to leave New Jersey and, and move elsewhere, whether it's Pennsylvania or Florida uh, or someplace else or are um, planning to in the next couple of years. And it's a shame because there's a, this, a lot the state has to offer. It's why I live here. We're nestled in between two great cities in New York and Philadelphia. Um, this area of the state in particular in Princeton is, is beautiful. Um, at the benefit of, of a world-class university right here. And yet we're chasing people away with high income taxes, high property taxes, high regulation. I'm hoping this year we have a, a governor's race. Um, I've supported the, uh, the leading Republican candidate, uh, Jack Chiarelli. I'm hoping he uh, knocks Phil Murphy out of office. And um, it, uh, even though, again, it's a very blue state here in New Jersey, uh, no Democratic governor has been reelected since the 1970s. We've had a whole slew of, of one-term Democratic governors, and I'd be hard-pressed to think that Governor Murphy's going to reverse that trend, because I think he's been the worst. I guess our last question to close out is, um, what do you think your future in your political career looks like? Are you planning to run for Congress again? I know you talked about that in the beginning, or are you thinking about maybe running for Senate or maybe even the presidency? Yeah, you're getting way ahead of a guy who just uh, lost his first race, but uh uh, you know, I would love to serve my country. It's why I ran. Uh, I do think 22 is going to be a, a better year for Republicans. Um, you know, last year, last um, year in 2020 with the presidential election, it, um, it was, I thought, the perfect time to run uh, as a Republican, but the, um, uh, the pandemic changed everything. It became a very, very difficult year for somebody who was running in his first race, like I was, uh, against an incumbent. Uh, to, um, to get any traction. Uh, there was no campaign trail uh, after March. I would love to run again. Uh, large parts gonna depend on redistricting because they change the district lines every 10 years uh, in response to the census. And that's gonna come out later this year. 
Uh, so we're gonna see how that works out and uh, we'll see what the district looks like. Uh, I may run again. Uh, I'm not gonna be running for the Senate or president anytime soon. I think I need to get into a smaller office first, but uh, if I uh, can, I think I have a lot to contribute. I think everybody uh, should be involved in their government, whether they run for office or just volunteer on a campaign or just make sure they vote every, every year. Mm -hmm. uh, it's important to be active in, in your government, um, the people that are running it. Um, I have a lot of respect for many of them, uh, but I can tell you when, you when you get involved in it and you see a lot of the people that are involved, uh, you wonder why. Uh, and you wish other people would get involved. Uh, but the more people that vote, the more people that get involved, the better government we're going to have. Uh, and uh, I don't regret for a second running for office, even though I didn't uh, get to the finish line. And, um, you know, that's the only way we're going to make things better. Because good people run and, uh, and win. I think we both look forward to what your political career uh, holds in the future. And thank you so much for coming on to talk to us today. Thank you, gentlemen. The pleasure was all mine.